Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you turn with me to Psalm 115? And uh, the teens head out. Little kids tonight are out in uh, children's choir. Looking forward to hearing them sing in church soon. Thankful for Ashley Dallas doing that. Psalm 115. Went to the dentist today. Then having root canals and crowns. And then a couple of weeks ago here in Sunday morning service, second service, I was eating a mento. I reckon Krista thought I had bad breath. She gave me a mento. And I had a temporary crown right here in the front on the bottom. And uh, it went away. And I looked up at Alyssa. I remember seeing Alyssa up here. And she had kind of a look on her face like, what happened? And I was like feeling it. And I said, oh, dear. And then I went to the, Tommy was reading scripture. And I went to the bathroom. I said, ooh, that's not good. Right in the front. Big tooth missing. So I, I preached most of that message like this. <laughs> I didn't want you all to see. But she went, they went and put a, a temporary one on there today. And I, my dentist, she's so nice. She's from Ethiopia. She was an Army vet. And uh, hygienist, so nice, too. I said, she said, what do you got going on this week? I said, Peanut Fest. You need to come out to Peanut Fest. I told them all about it. They said, she said, peanuts, really? Peanuts? I said, yeah, Dublin's all about peanuts. And, she, and the hygienist said, your church sounds so fun. I said, it is fun. It's a fun church. Psalm 115. We're still in, uh, still in a section of six psalms here known as the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Uh, they're called Hallel Psalms because usually somewhere in the chapter is uh, the phrase, praise ye the Lord, or praise the Lord. And, and in Hebrew, it's hallelujah. And, and Egyptian hallel, because these songs were typically sung at the Jewish celebration of Passover. And of course, that commemorated the uh, deliverance, God delivering his people out of bondage in Egypt into freedom and a covenant relationship with him. And uh, you know what's cool about these songs? This is the third one we've been going through. Um, it, it is quite possible that Jesus sang this song with his disciples uh, the night before he died at the Last Supper. Because what was the Last Supper? It was a Passover celebration. And so these songs would be sung by families um, that were celebrating that. And that's more than just an interesting historical fact. I'd like you to keep that in mind tonight as we go through Psalm 115 together. Be looking for phrases that point uh, to Jesus Christ uh, as we study this psalm. Let's read it together. Psalm 115 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. And so is everyone that trusts in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. 
He is their help and shield. You that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us, and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for this song. Thank you for revealing who you are in it. Uh, God, thank you for revealing what our response should be to your revelation of who you are for us. And, and Lord, thank you even for the rewards uh, of responding the way you want us to that you highlight here at the end of this song. And I pray that we would understand what it is you're telling us in Psalm 115. Lord, I lift up the teens as they meet. I lift up the little kids as they uh, work on songs to sing for us. I pray that your word that's in those songs uh, would impact their lives. May your Holy Spirit use it in their lives. And may your Holy Spirit use your word here in Psalm 115 in ours. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, it looks like uh, from the structure of this psalm, it was probably designed to be responsive uh, where the worship leader would sing one part and then uh, maybe part of the congregation or the entire congregation would uh, sing the rest of it. Uh, but the first thing we notice in the first eight verses is God's revelation. God's going to communicate uh, certain things in these verses about who he is and what he's done for us and what he offers us. And then the rest of the song will be about what our response should be to God revealing that and then also what reward we will receive for having a right response to God's self-revelation. Verse 1 opens up this song. It's a story about God's glory, this song is. Uh, it opens up by talking about just that. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. And so let's just pause there because before we can go any further and start considering God's self-revelation, before we pause to consider who he is and what he's done for us and what he's promised us, we're reminded here right at the very beginning of this song, what should be the most important thing in our lives? God's glory. That's what it says right there. I mean, that is the reason you were born. You might have wondered that um, before you came to Christ the Savior. After, you might have been like, like what? What am I here for? Well, why did God create me? Why did God give me life? He gave you life to glorify him. That's why he created everything. Uh, Isaiah 43, 7 tells us that. Uh, God created everyone, everything to glorify him. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that's why you're born again. It's not only why you were born, but why you were born again. You were born again to glorify God. God makes that clear in Psalm 25, 11. God's glory is what God is most concerned with. And because of that, it needs to be what you and I are most concerned with as well. And like I said earlier, I believe that's something that every Christian has wondered. Why did God save me? Why does God love me so? Well, it's for his glory. That's why. Uh, listen to what God's word says in Isaiah 43, 25. God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own name's sake and I will not remember your sins. God says in Isaiah, I will not give my glory to another. And so since that is why God has created us, is why God saved us, since God's glory is the thing that is of the utmost importance to God, 
it should also be of the utmost importance to you and I. And that is what God tells followers of Christ in 1 Corinthians 10.31, isn't it? Whether you eat or drink, I mean, even in the most mundane, seemingly run-of-the-mill type of activities in the Christian life, what are we to do? All to the glory of God. Whatever we do, do all the glory of God. And you know, as a church family, this is our purpose. Um, it's something we highlight every so often, but if you were to look at our documents in the Constitution or on our website or in our like welcome folders we hand out to uh, first-time guests at our church, that's listed as our purpose, to glorify God and enjoy relationship with Him forever. We get that from Psalm 1611, where uh, David says, you have shown me the path of life. You show me what life's all about. In your presence is fullness of joy. In a relationship with you, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand, where Jesus is, that's where pleasures forever are found. We're here to glorify God and enjoy relationship with him forever. That's our purpose. And, and, and I hope that is not just a statement of faith that we'd say, yeah, well, that's what we're here for. I hope it's not just a belief in our life. I hope it's a practical reality. I hope it's a pattern of behavior for every one of us here. And if so, then we can join the psalmist in this opening verse, in verse 1, and we could sing what is being sung here, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. And then we're given some reasons right after that to glorify God. Uh, here's who he is. Here's what he reveals himself to be for us. For thy mercy's sake and for thy truth's sake. God's telling us here at, at the end of verse 1, I am merciful. I'm full of mercy. Is God? Yeah. He says, I am, I am truth. Is God truth? He sure is for us in, in Jesus Christ. God had the Apostle John remind us of that in John 1.14. And the Word, Jesus, and the Word was made flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is for us. He's mercy. He's truth. No one else is. Not like our God. And that's really the point in verses 2 through 8 now. Uh, this is the point that God's going to try to make in revealing himself to us. He's going to provide a contrast here between who he is, uh, between himself, the, the one that should be the sole recipient of our worship and glory. And he's going to provide a contrast between him and where so many people send their worship and glory instead. Verse 2 says, wherefore, meaning since what has been said in verse 1 is true, uh, then why? Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Have you ever heard anybody ask you that? Where is your God? Usually that uh, happens. That question might be presented to us after some terrible tragedy. We're in the week of, was it 21st anniversary of, 22nd anniversary of 9-11? I remember hearing that. Oh, you believe in God after all that happened? Why would a God allow stuff like that? Uh, where is your God? Now, usually it comes our way in some form of mocking. Somebody's like, you really believe in a higher power? Uh, how, how can you believe that with what you're going through? How can you believe that with so much evil in the world? And that's the question that God's people here were being asked by unbelievers. Where is your God? The psalm was probably written during the captivity and exile period in Israel's history. They had been invaded. The, the walls of their capital, Jerusalem, had been destroyed. Their temple had been reduced to rubble, just stones on the ground. Their people had been taken away, kidnapped into captivity. And so those who did that and those who saw it, that was the question. They said, where's your God? 
And these unbelievers that did that, they had a difficult understanding, difficult time understanding Israel's worship and faith in the first place because they had different gods, small g, plural. They had lots of them. Idols, carved images that they would bow down to, that they'd worship for this and others for that. And that's the question being asked here. Where is your God? They're they're kind of implying, y'all don't even have one. I mean, we see your big temple, but there's no idol in it. It's kind of strange. All of our temples, we have carved images in there. We, we have idols there. And then, so what's the response? What's the answer to that question that's presented? We find in verse 3, our God is in the heavens. And he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. No, no, we don't have some idol over here in our temple to bow down to pointlessly. Because our God is in the heavens. He's where God belongs. That doesn't mean he's far away. That's what God tells us in Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. God says, am I a God near at hand and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places where I shall not see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth? Yeah, God does. And it also doesn't mean just because God's in heaven, it doesn't mean he doesn't interact with us. No, it says right after that, he does whatsoever he pleases. In this world, he does, even when it's hard for us to understand, God does whatever is going to bring him the most glory in the end. And the answer doesn't stop there. In, in this revelation from God of who he is and what he's done for us and what he offers us, the contrast continues. Look at this contrast in verses 4 through 7. I'll kind of summar, summarize it, paraphrase it. Oh, your God is here in a temple? You bow down to him? Yeah, I see that. It's silver and gold. You made him. I see your God has a mouth, but it doesn't sound like he's saying anything. I see two eyes on your small g God, but how come he can't see? Uh, I see two ears over there and a nose, but he doesn't hear and he doesn't smell. And I see your God has hands and feet, but he hasn't moved at all yet. And so there's obviously some divinely inspired sarcasm going on in verses 4 through 7. And the contrast is this. Y'all created your God. Our God created us. And boy, there's a bunch of implications in that, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, Our God made us. You made your small g God. Our God's in heaven. Your God is very earthly. He's made of stuff out of the earth that you carved. He's right here. You bow bow down to him. Your God can do nothing, literally nothing. Can't see, can't hear, can't smell, can't talk, can't move. Our God does whatever he pleases. And our God sees us and he hears us. And he answers our prayers, and he accepts our worship, and he rises to deliver us. Your gods are blind and deaf and silent and senseless, motionless, impotent. I want you to think about it. We talk about this a lot. We try to solve the world's problems, right? But um, do you want to sum up what is wrong with our world today? It's right there in verse 8. I mean, seriously. They that make them are like unto them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. Probably need to read that again. They that make them are just like them, and so is everyone that trusts in them. Listen, when, when men worship things beneath them, whether, that, whether that's things that God has created for us to use and enjoy and steward for his glory, when instead of doing that, we worship those things, or whether it's a creation of our own, like is talked about here, when men worship things that are beneath them, it brings men lower. People who do that, they will lose the strength of their own human ability to perceive, 
the world correctly, to interact with the world. They're going to think wrongly. They're going to, they're going to talk wrongly. They are going to act wickedly. Anyone who makes idols, anyone who trusts in idols is going to have this as their destiny. They're going to be drawn down, not up. And that's exactly God's point in Romans 1, 18 through 28, through the Apostle Paul. Um, we'll come right back here, but let's go there. Romans 1, I think it bears reading because it's so descriptive of, of what we're experiencing in our world and the culture that's all around us. We'll be right back in Psalm 115, but Romans 1, we'll read verses 18 to 28. I'll give you a second to get there. God says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, meaning they suppress the truth. They know what truth is, but they suppress it. Verse 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. So they can't say, I didn't know truth. I didn't know about that. No, they, they know it. God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. They can walk outside and see the creation that God has made and know something about God. They can look at their own bodies and know something about God. Verse 21, because of that, when they, when they knew God, so they didn't know God. This is not an ignorance thing. They knew God, but they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and a four-footed beast, and to creeping things. And wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. They changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise unto the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves a recompense of their error, which was me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That's our world. And it's really a a long explanation of Psalm 115, verse 8. Let's go back there. Psalm 115, 8. They that make them, instead of worshiping God, when we worship anything else but God, uh, they that make them are like unto them. And so is everyone that trusts in them. Pastor David Guzik puts it this way in his commentary in verse 8. He says, verse 8 is a basic spiritual law. We become like what we worship. You will become like whatever it is you worship. When we worship the one true God who, who reigns in righteousness, the God who is perfectly revealed to us in Jesus Christ, you will become like him. You'll become like Jesus. But the inverse is also true. That's what Psalm 115.8 is saying. That's what Romans 1.18-28 is saying. When, when we worship anything else, when we worship anyone else, and let's be real, um, I don't think anybody here is going to go home tonight and carve out some graven image and bow down to it tomorrow like idolatry might be described in the Old Testament. We, we have different forms of idolatry when we allow anything else to come between God, when it becomes more important to us than God. Um, but what we're talking about is we're talking about worshiping the creation, the creature, more than the creator. And when we worship anything else or anyone else, we will become like it. 
we will be drawn down. It's beneath us. We become like whatever it is we worship. That is so much more than just an innocent mistake. In fact, that is not how it's portrayed there in Romans 1 at all. It was a willful, intentional choice to suppress truth and to suppress knowledge. That's why God in his word reveals the divine method out of such craziness. In his great grace and in his great love for us, uh, he rescues us from that kind of demoralizing and destructive and deadly living. And he tells us to look and live. He says, look and live. Look to Jesus. And you'll have life, and you'll have life more abundantly. Trust in the Lord. When you worship the Lord, when you put your trust in the Lord, you're going to be transformed into his image. When you abide in him, he will abide in you. That's God's revelation. Let's look at our response now in verses 9 through 11. So when we recognize the almost incomprehensible uniqueness of God, there's no one like him, there's nothing like him, and when we at the same time recognize the utter folly of idolatry, that should renew. It should strengthen our trust in the one true God. It should compel us to look to him as our, as it talks about here, as our help and shield. Isn't that such a beautiful thought that God is our help and shield? I'm reminded of God's promise to Abraham. Abraham had just fought a bunch of kings. Abraham had no army. I mean, he, had a, he was Abraham. He had a little family. He had some, some servants. But he went and, and fought and gained victory over a bunch of pagan kings. And I think he was a little worried. Like, mm, other big armies are going to know what's, what I just did. And God comes to Abraham back in Genesis and he says, Abraham, don't worry. I am your shield and reward. It's so awesome. God doesn't say, Abraham, I'm going to give you a shield to protect you. And he says, no, I am your shield and reward, Abraham. And, and so verse 9 says that this should be our response to God's revelation of who he is so far in verses 1 through 8. It should be trusting him. Verse 9 says, oh, Israel, meaning God's people, trust in the Lord. He's your help and shield. If anyone should be trusting in God, it is the people of God. Amen? Amen. We're to be the ones trusting him. Verse 10 has got a message for me, for Tommy and for Daniel, and I extend it to our deacons and other leaders here in the church. Oh, how severe trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. And, you know, as the leaders of God's people, um, we're to be leading them to the Lord. We're to be leading them to trust in the Lord ever more deeply. Preachers are to be a pattern to others about what trusting in the Lord looks like. We're to display an action, what it means to live with the Lord as your help and shield. And then verse 11 invites you that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. So who's that talking about? Who's this demographic? Well, for Israel, to the original audience this was written to at this time, it was the Gentiles, but specifically Gentiles who had recognized God was a true God. The God of Israel was a true God. They, they might not be converts to Judaism yet, but they were worshipers of God. We see that term used uh, often in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and so a God who is self-described in verses 1 through 8 as he is, the point in verses 9 through 11, he's worth our exclusive faith and trust. He's worth having as our only help and shield. And, and our response should be faith. And I'll give you that acrostic I've told you before. Forsaking all, I trust him. 
not forsaking a lot of things, or he's at the top of the things I trust. Forsaking all, I trust him. Not him and I trust him. And when we do that, there's a reward. That's what God explains in the rest of these verses, verses 12 to 18. The reward is blessing. It's a pretty general term that God uses here. Um, That's what verses 12 to 15 promise to those who are full of faith, to those who go to God and to God alone as their help and shield. He promises a blessing. There's one right at the beginning of verse 12. Here's a blessing. The Lord has been mindful of us. That's something, friend, isn't it? I mean, pay attention to those words. God's mind is full of you, Christian. That blows my mind. It did for David as well in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. He said, when I consider the heavens, when I look up at the moon at night, and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That your mind is full of us. I mean, that is crazy when you think of it, that that you and I occupy any space at all. But that's not what it says there in Psalm 8 or here in Psalm 115. It doesn't say we occupy some space in God's mind. It says his mind is full of us. That's his great love. You know, um, nothing happens in our life where he doesn't know about it. And when, like the old song says, when the days are dreary, the long nights weary, we can know our Savior cares. Verse 13, it promises the reward of blessing. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. I like that. God had a point in that. Small came first. His care, his love, and his protection, his providence, they do not go to the highest bidder. If you place your trust in him, if you hold God as your help and shield, he blesses the powerless, not just the powerful. And it says more and more, uh, verse 14, the Lord shall increase you more, he'll bless you more and more, you and your children. That's the kind of reward he holds out to those who are full of faith, according to verse 14. Isn't that within his power? Isn't that what he promises us in Ephesians 3.20? More and more, exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we could ask or even what we could think of, what we could come up with ourselves. God, I want this blessing. He'll bless you more than that. That's his promise to the faithful, according to the power that works within us, that kind of more and more. Now, can he do that? Like, is he God? Because we often uh, put our resources as God's limit. Like, how are you going to do this, God? Well, we're reminded in verse 15, you are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And we're taken back to, hey, the one who sustains you, he's the one who created you, who spoke you into existence. So yeah, he's got the power and he's got the love and he's got the resources to bless you more and more. And now we're introduced to three spheres in verses 16 to 18. We got the heavens. That's where our God is. Remember from back in verse 3. And then we got the earth. It says he's given that to the children of men. And we're all here on earth tonight, I think. And then finally the grave, where it says the dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. So, so let's deal with where we are right now. You and I, we're here right now. We're on the earth that God has given to the children of men. Back in Genesis, when he created us and he created Adam and Eve, we we're the ones that he made in his image. And we were the ones he gave a dominion mandate to steward this, take care of it, manage it. And um, he's given it to us. But death entered in. 
And while we're here, we really learn this. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to magnify God. That's why he created us. Uh, and we're to do that while we're here because there will be a time when we can't do that here any longer. You know, um, if the Lord tarries his return and he calls us home, we won't be able to do that here any longer. And for those who don't know the Lord, for those who have never placed their trust in Christ, the opportunity to do that, which they haven't yet, but it will come to an eternal end. They will go down in silence, just like it says here. But for us who have, we've trusted in Christ as Savior, and we're living for his glory. We see that as our purpose. We live out that purpose. For us who have, man, verse 18 holds out the greatest reward of having Christ as your only hope and shield. What does it say? We will bless the Lord from this time forth. That means right here, right now. And what? Forevermore. <laughs> so for us, no, the grave doesn't silence us. Because we know that the moment, uh, the, the moment that the person who's trusting in Christ is Savior, the moment that we leave this earth, our spirit goes up to heaven and, and we join a heavenly chorus and we will be praising, glorifying God for all eternity the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who has him as their help and shield, the praises are going up now. They're going up here just as they should be, as God's purpose is for us. But even if he calls us home, they don't stop. They're never silenced by the grave. We'll be glorifying the Lord for eternity, or as it says here, forevermore. So can we sing tonight like this song started? I don't know. I can't remember what Tommy's got for the last two songs, but um, can we... Can we sing them like this way or with this thought behind them? Not to us, O oh Lord. <laughs> never, never to us. Never to me. But to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. And, and more importantly than singing that, would you live that way? Would you commit to live that way? Can we sing like the song ends? That's how it started. Look, how does it end from this time forth? I'll praise the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I'm going to glorify. May, may that be our testimony. As individuals, when it is, it'll be our testimony as a church family together. May we worship God alone. May we, may, we, may we give him glory alone, not to anything else. We need to do that because we will become just like whatever it is we worship. Tommy, praise team, will you come up and lead us in a time to...